Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, good evening, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome. We are live here tonight on Wednesday, June the 21st. We are only days away from the first anniversary of a great and tremendous pro-life victory, the reversal of Roe versus Wade. So we've been reflecting. We've been reflecting for the whole year on what this decision means uh, and what, how we build on this victory. We can't build on the Dobbs victory unless we understand the Dobbs decision. And that's been a, a key theme that I've been hitting on. And I really don't think that we're there yet. I really don't think that either side on the abortion debate has uh, thoroughly and adequately even understood what Dobbs said. So we're going to uh, try to pick up some of that slack here tonight and empower you to do the same. I can see your comments and questions, and thank you to uh, those of you that have been uh, greeting me, saying hello, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and feel free to leave. You know, if you have particular observations on <clears throat> how have we done so far this past year in the pro-life movement and uh, since the reversal of Roe v. Wade and in building on the Dobbs decision, uh, what seemed to you to be the main challenges going forward and 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 uh, are there aspects of this whole decision that you don't understand or want to delve into more deeply i've got some thoughts of my own that i'll share with you but let's begin as we always do with um uh with prayer and uh and turn to the lord and ask his blessing and guidance in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen Father, we do praise you for this great victory over Roe versus Wade. We ask that we may never underestimate the uh, the uh, significance of this victory. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that the lawmakers, into whose hands once again has been put the policymaking on abortion, accountable to us, the people, may rise up with courage at this moment, realizing that this is not the time to walk away from the battlefield either thinking that we have won or lost, but that this is the time to press more firmly with greater confidence in the arguments that we make, Lord God, under your inspiration, with the knowledge that comes from you and with the authority of your word, the arguments that these children are indeed our brothers and sisters, that they must indeed be protected, and that abortion is nothing but a harmful act of violence. Lord, may we make the case vigorously, perseveringly, and with great fruit, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, um, that's what the Dobbs decision did. As you know, it put the matter back in the hands of the uh, people and their elected representatives. <clears throat> and if I were to identify the biggest misunderstanding and misstatement of what Dobbs did, it's actually that it returned it to the states. Now, of course, there's truth in that. The states have more power now to actually protect the unborn, and many of them have indeed exercised that power than they have had in the last 50 years. But we have to understand this in a more nuanced way. It wasn't a move from the federal level to the state level, as if the Dobbs case took responsibility away from the federal government to deal with abortion. It didn't. 
as I've said many times before, and no doubt if you follow me, you've heard me say it, that one of the best briefs in the Dobbs case that was submitted to the Supreme Court on the pro-life side was from sitting members of the U.S. Congress asking the court to give them back their authority and freedom to legislate on abortion. Because Roe and Casey, all right, Roe v. Wade, 1973, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992, that upheld Roe, were a roadblock in the way, all up and down the, the, the levels of government. They were a roadblock in the way of municipal government, state government, federal government, prohibiting abortion and protecting the unborn. When that roadblock was taken out of the way, it was taken out of the way, again, up and down the levels of government. So Dobbs made it just as constitutionally appropriate for the U.S. Congress to protect the unborn prior to viability as it did for the states. So to say, oh, it brings it back to the states, oh, whoa, 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 hold on a second. That's half true. It also puts it back to the Congress. I feel like I've said this so many times, and again, no doubt, um, and I'm looking at your, 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 your comments here. Oh, thank you, Linda. We so appreciate these times when we're all... We'll all be here and learn, and I learn from you all as well. Um, I feel like I've said this so many times, and yet we've, we've got very, very involved uh, people, leaders, government officials who are strongly pro-life and still don't seem to understand this basic point. Now, some of it is fear, and let me tell you what happens. I mean, we've got obviously... Uh, we've got different levels of courage among our pro-life. I'm, I'm talking about the pro, the pro-abortion ones. They're they're nuts, and they're evil. Pro-life members of Congress. I mean, you've got the whole spectrum, okay. And I want to talk about this in terms of 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 what we've seen in this year since uh, since Roe fell. You've got a whole spectrum. You got those that are raring to go. Uh, ready to protect the unborn and are, in fact, doing it, proposing legislation, always voting pro-life and so forth. Uh, and, and, and the Republican caucus, for the most part, with just a mere half a handful of exceptions, will vote pro-life consistently. But voting is, it doesn't tell you much about what's going on inside, right? How much fear they might have or how much uh, of a priority they think the issue should or shouldn't take, how much time and attention it should and shouldn't take. Some were complaining at the beginning of the current Congress back in January that uh, pro-life bills were introduced right in that very first week of their legislative session. I was there together with Janet Moran, our executive director, and uh, they passed a strong resolution of support for the pregnancy centers. And they also passed finally the, the born alive bill, increasing protections for babies born alive. But they're hesitant now. It's been hard in the House of Representatives to get the, the, the secure, the necessary number of votes for a bill that's not even prohibiting abortion, but, but rather simply protecting our tax dollars from paying for it. The no taxpayer funding for abortion bill has been stalled. It should have been the third of the pro-life bills to pass in uh, well, a bill and a measure, I should say. It should have been the second bill 
back in January. And here we are half a year later and they, and they still aren't, uh, you know, firm in the, uh, in the votes. I think this question of, oh, well, it, re it returned it to the states, it returned it to the states, becomes a convenient excuse for some to say, don't blame me for abortion policy. It's out of my hands. Now, you see, let me, let me, let me uh, uh, take uh, Michael is saying, Congress needs to pass an amendment to declare abortion illegal euthanasia as well, life to be protected from womb to tomb. Absolutely. And, and all of this that we're talking about is aimed at increasing their willingness to do exactly this kind of thing. But let me tell you about a part of what I think is going on is that in the minds and hearts of some, they're saying, oh, don't blame me for abortion policy. They don't want to get their constituents mad. Uh, it's not in my hands. They used to be able to say prior to one year ago, well, the court took it out of our hands. It's in the hands of the court. And, and in, in, in many ways, they were correct about that. The court had taken it out of their hands. That's the roadblock we were discussing a moment ago. But now they realize, ooh, Dobbs is a great victory, but Dobbs puts a new responsibility on our shoulders. Now we've got to answer directly for why we aren't making abortion illegal and protecting these babies because the court no longer says that we can't do that. So it becomes a convenient excuse for some to say, oh, but it's still out of our hands. It's in the hands of the states. And some people, again, this is only a half truth, have said, well, now that there was one battle and now it becomes 50 battles. You know, saying that, again, the court, the court brought it from the federal level to the states. Again, no, 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 no. It's not that it was one battle and it's 50 battles. First of all, it's 52 battles because it's the 50 states. It's the District of Columbia because there's abortion votes regarding the district. And it's the federal government. Congress can, does, must continue to vote on abortion. So it was 52 different battles, but it was 52 battles before. And, and that's why, again, these phrases, returning it to the states, oh, it's going from one battle to now 50 battles, is oversimplifies the whole thing. And you've heard this, right? Tell me, tell me if I'm, if I'm uh, hitting, a, hitting a, a, a nerve here. I mean, you hear this, right? People are saying it all the time. I mean, good, informed committed pro-life people, some of them in politics, some of them in media. But we can't, we got to stop talking this way. It was always a battle in the states. Roe v. Wade itself gave the states some leeway, not anywhere near enough, not anywhere near the Constitution permits, but Roe v. Wade, even Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, even more so, gave the states a lot of leeway to deal with abortion, to regulate it, and even prohibit it. And as a matter of fact, the Casey decision, well, they all practically all these Supreme Court decisions came about precisely because the battle was being waged in the states. Roe v. Wade came out of Texas. Doe v. Bolton, the companion case, came out of Georgia. Planned Parenthood versus Casey came out of Pennsylvania. It was Governor Casey at the time. Pro-life Democrat. You don't see many of those around anymore. And then the Dobbs decision came out of Mississippi. These cases arose because the battle was already in the states. 
It's just that the states could only go so far before they hit up against that roadblock of Roe and Casey that were saying, well, if, 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 if you're going too early in the pregnancy, you can't constitutionally protect the baby, which, of course, that was and remains nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. And um, let's see. Um, let's see some of these comments. Rita, it was only one that caused, caused 50 states to abort, and it should have ended this same one. So if I understand what you're saying, um, you know, the court could have said, and we reflected on this last night, you have to protect the unborn. And, and, and that, obviously, that's the point to which we need to get. That it's like, okay, friends, that's enough. You can't permit the killing of the baby in the womb any more than you can permit the killing of the newborn or the killing of a teenager or the killing of an, any adult. And your right to be protected from being killed doesn't change when you cross state lines. You can't have the right to life in Mississippi and not have it in New York. So obviously that's the point to which we have to get. And that's a challenge. Actually, Dobbs opens the door to this. It doesn't, you know, in a sense, the court went as far as the court currently believes it can go. And as many people, strongly pro-life, believe it can go. I personally was with uh, Justice Scalia when he was alive and heard him talk about this many times. When... Um, when he uh, he discussed um, when he discussed uh, I'm going to talk about Walter's comment here when he discussed the role of the court and the role of the legislature, and he said, "Okay, well, the court has gone as far as it could go because we don't set policy." And we were in a room in the Supreme Court, and you could see the Congress outside the window, and Justice Scalia pointed that pointed out the window, and he said, "You got to go to that building over there. To, to you want to end abortion, go to that building over there." That wasn't a, a, you know, abandoning responsibility. These the the justices who voted in the majority in the uh, in the Dobbs case went as far as they believe the court's role allows them to go. Now I think in the future there'll be a case that'll clarify this even further and say, wait a second, the Fourteenth Amendment's guarantee to, to, to life includes the unborn, and then, then then we'll get to the point where you say, not only may the states prohibit abortion, but they must. So Walter is saying we have to be careful if we give in to anything less than protection from conception, it will stay like that for a hundred years. There is clearly the right to life from conception, and it is clearly, and this is what I was about to say actually, Dobbs opens the door precisely to reach this goal. There's even a section in the decision about theories of personhood. And it what the decision does, it very cleverly uh, pokes holes in the theories that the pro-abortion people give about personhood. We will say, on the one hand, they're persons from conception. We demand their protection right now. And the pro-abortion people will come up with all these kinds of philosophically diverse and confusing theories about when a human being becomes a person. Now, as far as the view of the church is concerned, the church has articulated it this way. How can there be a human being that is not a human person? Personhood is not something that you add on to your humanity. Personhood belongs to your humanity. 
Human beings are human persons. There's no such thing as a human being who's not a human person. Now, this gets into philosophical uh, conversations, but the Dobbs decision said when it comes to constitutional law, Roe v. Wade drew the line at viability. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, likewise, looked at viability as the dividing line between when the state could not versus could prohibit abortion and protect the baby. And the justices ask an obvious question. These decisions drew that line. Roe drew other lines too. They drew a line after the first trimester about how much the state could do after the second trimester. And even Casey, the Casey decision threw out those additional lines that Roe had uh, drawn because that, and the Dobbs case brings this out, is more the work of a legislative body than of a court. Legislative bodies set policy and they'll come up with, you know, programmatic uh, uh, um, boundaries and, and conditions like that. Where does the Dobbs decision ask, where does all this come from in the Constitution? What does that have to do with the Constitution? Oh, well, you know, there's an interest that the state has in protecting the life of the baby after viability. Um, and, and the Dobbs decision says, well, then why not before? What justifies drawing the line there saying there's no constitutional interest in, in protecting that baby before viability? And Dobbs very clearly says there is no justification for drawing the line there. What does that mean? That the court is saying, you want to protect the babies from conception? As now we've got, what is it, over a dozen states that are doing that? We are not going to stand in your way. That's the victory right there at this point in time, that they're not going to stand in our way to do that. So now we've got to do the hard work, uh, just like Walter and many others are saying, of, of, uh, of getting there. How do we do it? The Constitution makes it clear. The court made it clear. Dobbs made it clear. We do what we've always been doing. We persuade our fellow citizens. We elect pro-life lawmakers. We persuade and lobby the lawmakers to pass that particular law. And then, and here's another big weakness that we're seeing post-Dobbs, uh, enforcement. We've got to enforce the laws that we pass. Now, because the abortion issue is so volatile in America, and because the convictions on both sides run so deep, remember, the other side, at its core, sees the right to abortion just in the same category, so as fundamental as we see the right to life. One uh, long time... Uh, a book about abortion that's been around a long time, is called Abortion, a Clash of Absolutes. That's why it's so intractable as an issue. It is a clash of absolutes. So one is going to expect that just as on uh, in, in our minds, it's perfectly legitimate to exercise conscientious objection. In fact, the church says uh, that we need to do this. When it comes to an unjust law, 
They look at the laws we pass for pro-life and they say the same thing. Oh, this is an unjust law. We have to act with conscientious objection. And so you had a a group of 29 uh, prosecutors uh, write an open letter saying that they weren't going to enforce pro-life laws. Here in Florida, Governor DeSantis threw one of them out who refused to enforce the law uh, passed here to protect the baby starting at 15 weeks. So we've got to work on enforcement. We've got to be vigilant about enforcement. But make no mistake, Dobbs is uh, has opened that door very, very wide. Uh, thank you, Aloli Mike. There are white papers stating when life begins. Absolutely. And uh, these are easily accessible to all of us online. And a lot of the information that we ha- have scientifically was given to the Supreme Court in the Dobbs uh, decision. One of the weaknesses of Roe versus Wade, by the way, was that in the, in the section where it dealt with science, it literally ignored science. It skipped over centuries of human knowledge about conception, fertilization, the development of the baby in the womb. It literally skipped over it as if it didn't exist. It didn't even mention it. Dr. Thomas Hilders wrote a book, The Fake and Deceptive Science Behind Roe versus Wade. So yes, white papers, scientific evidence, testimony in the court. Open any book on embryology. Go to the, the app, See Baby Grow. That's an app I've been talking about a little bit on our programs. And we at Priest for Life are key promoters of, of, of this. Um, we didn't create it. We, we're, we're promoters of it. See Baby Grow. Take a look at that because you are going to see uh, absolutely uh, um, uh, indisputable is the science about when life begins. Public debate is important to promote a deeper thinking. And uh, uh, Yuka, uh, what's important about what you're saying here is this is exactly also the door that the Dobbs decision opened up. Have the public debate. Don't let it be shut down by some kind of a fake dogma that there is a constitutional right to abortion. And as I've said time and time again, The other side, what they lost in Dobbs at the federal level, they're trying to reinsert at the state level, not through the legislative process. They're trying to reinsert at the state level through declaring some kind of constitutional right to abortion because then they know they don't need the legislative process because you're not going to create a law that goes against your constitution. They're cowards. The effort of these pro-abortion groups to get these constitutional amendments, and we got to work hard in Ohio and we have a, the storm brewing here in Florida, too, to do this by constitutional amendment is a sign of their cowardice. Because when you engage the legislative process, what happens? Well, you have what Yuka is saying, public debate. The legislative process calls for public debate. These constitutional amendments, they don't call for public debate. And in fact, they foster just the opposite. They put artificial deadlines in place and then the pro-abortion propaganda machine spits out sound bites falling from the sky like hailstones that, oh, oh, you got to vote yes on this amendment because it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep us from uh, uh, losing our health care if, if we have a, a, a problem pregnancy, if your daughter, if your sister, if your niece has a problem pregnancy, uh, they're not going to get the medical help that they need and they're going to die. 
And people get that one thought in their head. and Oh, oh yeah, I have to vote for this amendment. There's no debate there. This is not the intensive, rigorous process that a legislative process brings you, where there's witnesses and arguments and testimony and counter-testimony and interrogations and amendments and documents and, and thinking, like you said here, thinking. Thinking. That's what's missing in so much of this. Let me see what... Uh, H. Kin, very, very true. Science with the complete human genetic makeup says it's complete at conception. It certainly is. It certainly is. We know that better than, you know, that's the, I've always said the irony, um, the irony in this whole uh, 50 year period that Dobbs just brought us to the end of is that at no time in human history, did we learn more about the child in the womb than during these 50 years? And at no time in history did we deprive that child of more protection than during that same 50 years. Do you know that one of the, if you've watched our program for years regularly, you know what I'm about to say. One of the briefs that um, was submitted to the court in Dobbs was from a young lady in her 20s by the name of Hannah. She was the first in America, the first human being who as an embryo had been frozen for two years and then was thawed out, implanted in her mother's womb, grew in the womb, and had a successful birth, delivery, and healthy life. Hannah. Talk about the development of science. That was a first in American history that a brief to a court was, was, was uh, issued by a person in those circumstances. Look at this very nice comment. Uh, thank you so much for this, Father Frank. Your program and work moving from 95% pro-life special circumstances to 100% pro-life period. Thank you for your work. Well, you're welcome. And let's continue to move our whole country uh, in uh, that direction. Uh, let me see if there's any other things here. I'm not going to keep you too long here tonight, but really good comments. Um, very, very good comments. Uh, oh, yes, a greatest ever. Um, South Carolina, heartbeat bill. Uh, challenged in court. See, and, and let me make a comment about that. Um, Oh, yeah. And let me answer Steve, too, here. Steve, thank you for, for watching. I uh, appreciate it. Some people who don't agree with us don't even, don't even bother to watch. Steve says, women have the right to make their own choices about their reproductive health. Actually, Steve, I agree with you. And I, and I think we can say that, that um, everyone here does as well if we're talking about their reproductive health. And think this through with us for a moment. We're not against women. We're not against medical freedom. We're not even against reproductive rights. You want to see where reproductive rights are taken over from the government. Look at China. You know, they've had this, this they've modified the policy in some ways, two-child policy, one-child policy, then they brought it back to two. But they still have forced abortion. They still, they're still trying to say to families, you, you have to limit how many children you have. That's an interference with reproductive rights right, right there. And what we're saying about abortion doesn't make a reproductive decision for anyone. We believe that the, the ones who decide whether or not they're going to have a child, follow me here, 
are the parents. It's not me. It's not the church. And it's not the state. You know, the pro-abortion people have a, 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 a slogan, and, and I understand you may, maybe you may say we're not pro-abortion, pro-choice, there's a difference. Okay, but for the sake of argument, they say, the pro-choice people, they not the church, not the state, women must decide their fate. And, that, and that's what I hear you saying in this comment. Fine. We don't want to make the decision for women or for parents or for couples about whether or not they should have a child. And in, as a matter of fact, in the language of Roe versus Wade, you see this phrase, and it's in other previous court decisions as well, the freedom to bear or beget a child. Again, we believe in the freedom to whether or not to bear and beget a child. All we're saying is abortion's not about that. It's about the decision to end the life of a child. That is a very different thing. And, 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 and the confusion here is very deep because many people say, uh, and it's not, I'm not saying people can't understand the distinction. They can. What I'm saying is that we've gone down a road for 50, 60 years now where our thinking has been so conditioned to say that abortion is about the right whether or not to whether or not to bear or beget a child. Oh, hold on a second. And and this will be reflected in common language when people say, "Oh, well, you know, I I, I don't want to bring a child into the world at this point in time." And listen, we recognize and understand that there are many circumstances that would dictate medically, socially, financially that someone should not have a child at some particular point in time. Absolutely. I mean, well, listen, we work with these women every day. We know the situations that they face. Here's my point. This is not a question of whether to bring a child into the world. When we're talking about abortion, the child's already there. There's already been reproduction. We're talking about reproductive rights. There's already been reproduction. The child exists very small, very dependent, practically unseen, but not invisible. But you see the point I'm making, it's not about whether to bring a child into the world. The question now is, may you throw a child out of the world? Can we make the distinction between the question of whether you have a right to decide to bear or beget a child, or however many children you do or don't want, versus the right to kill a child? Isn't there a major difference there? And friends, this is where the Dobbs decision was very, very clear. The Dobbs decision said, that we do in fact have rights of privacy and that those rights do indeed cover matters regarding marriage and sexuality. And they said this decision is not touching those rights. Remember, one of the things that has happened in this post-Dobbs uh, period of time is that people have complained uh, and they've even complained in the dissent within the Dobbs decision. And I'm going to have to wrap up at this point. They said, oh, now the court is going to start to roll back other decisions that it made about marriage and contraception and all that. No, 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 no. Dobbs made it clear. We're zeroing in on a one question. Does the right to privacy include the right to take another person's life? That's the question. Not we're doing away with privacy altogether. And similarly, with, with uh, Steve's comment, are we doing away with reproductive rights? Of course not. 
we're doing away with child killing. And one of the strongest things said in the Dobbs decision is the majority's critique of the dissent because they said the most striking feature of the dissent, and I would add the most striking feature of the response of the abortion industry and the Biden administration and the Democrat Party and all its spokespersons, the most striking feature of their reaction against the Dobbs decision is the following. A complete lack of account for the interests of the child. They frame this as if it's only about the woman's reproductive rights. Is there no, I mean, Roe versus Wade itself said, this is a question of balancing rights and interests that the state will have in, yes, the rights of the woman, the health of the woman, but also the developing life inside of her. Does that count for nothing? The developing life inside of her is also an interest of the state. Now, the way the other side talks about Dobbs and the way that the dissent itself in Dobbs, read the dissent, look for the word child or unborn baby. It's not there. The way they talk about this is as if the child wasn't even there. So they're trying to resolve the abortion debate by not even making it a debate. Yeah, it's easy to resolve, you know, a, 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 uh, uh, a consideration of how two sets of interests are supposed to interact by simply pretending one of them doesn't exist. That's what the other side does. Well, it's a very convenient, self-serving way of dealing with the issue. I know, I'm just going to, there's no child. Well, then how is there even a debate? Of course, you're going to. If, if the only person affected by this is the is the one who's making has her reproductive freedom is making her choice. Well, what debate is there? There's no argument anymore. That's precisely what makes this a complex issue. Now, it's not complex morally. Morally, you you, you don't kill a baby. That's it. There's other complexities. That well, what do you do? And, 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 and you can answer those questions and you can solve those problems, but be careful of the tendency to just, you know, drop out of the equation the other part of the equation. And that's what a lot of our folks on the other side of this issue do. Okay. Thanks, friends. Great to be with you. Um, join me again uh, tomorrow for all our broadcasting and each day. And let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, bless us tonight as we come before you again, seeking just to be your disciples, to be your servants, to be a nation under you, to be a nation that gratefully receives and steadfastly protects your gift of life. Bless us today and every day. Bring us to the end of abortion. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. I got to go get a quick dinner now. I've been broadcasting all evening. It's been fabulous. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. One more thing. Could I ask you to support our work, ProLifeGift.org? 
we really can use your help. Summertime is always difficult uh, with donations. It's first day of summer today. Prolifegifts.org. We rely only on people like you. We don't get these big government grants like Planned Parenthood does. It's us, friends. It's us. And we appreciate your solidarity. Talk to you soon. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.